in your face. Well, Bradley Storer performs his show Exhumed at the Butterfly Club for Melbourne Fringe. And we chatted this week. Bradley Storer, great to see you. Oh, great to see you too. Thank you for having me back once again. Exhumed. Tell us all about it. <laughs> so Exhumed is the title of my uh, newest cabaret show running at the Melbourne Fringe Festival from the 2nd to the 8th of October, 8.30pm in the downstairs space. Um, so it's a collection of, uh, I've tentatively titled it The Best of Bradley Storer. Uh, for the listeners at home probably can't see me doing the uh, inverted commas there around best, um, but just my favourite uh, repertoire from the past, uh, oh God, 10-ish years of cabaret since I started. So yes, I've just got, I was uh, last year going through a lot of my old material, just uh, doing some work. And then I was like, oh, that's right. All these wonderful songs that I used to do that I haven't done in so long. And so I just, and then I also had the realisation, I was like, oh gosh, it's been, uh, not counting the COVID years, it's been over 10 years since I first started in cabaret. And I was like, oh, Oh dear, when did that happen? Um, so I thought, well, it's like maybe it's as good a time as any to just, uh, yes, have a best of show. Let's go back, just accumulate the, you know, the favourite songs, you know, the stuff that I loved doing I haven't touched in a while and just, yeah, we- dust off the old material. You played Schroeder in your Good Man Charlie Brown <laughs> yes. in July. Your voice must be in great shape. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, that was a wonderful experience. Um, I was very lucky, though, because Schroeder was my favourite type of character who doesn't say a lot but then gets one but like gigantic song that they can absolutely sing uh, you know, the roof off with and then don't have to do much else for the rest of the show. Um, but, no, the voice is all warmed up, ready to go with ship shape. Um, and, know, it's a big challenge. And what was actually also good about Charlie Brown was because um, since I was in, a, in an ensemble rather than a solo show, it meant I didn't actually have to remember the entire script, which I have to do in a solo show because it's generally just me. Um, so it was a welcome relief in Charlie Brown. So now, yeah, back to the old challenge of remembering the entire show by myself, remembering uh, the 12, 13 songs that I have to sing by myself, um, which is, you know, exciting, but, you know, it's challenging. It always is. Uh, <laughs> is your voice getting better? I mean, musical theatre must be a great <laughs> training ground for warming it up, and you've got Incredible range. You can do Nick Cave and Tori Amos. Oh, yes. Is your voice getting better? Oh, I like to think it is. Um, it's just, yeah, the voice naturally matures uh, as you get older. It also depends on the style of music that you do. For example, opera singers often don't hit their, like, true potential or uh, hit their stride until they're in their 40s, and then they can keep going until their 60s. Um, yeah, I think naturally, yeah, the voice just gets better as you get older. Like, I have done, you know, further training and hopefully improved my technique and also just discovered more artistry and more craft as I've gone along, which is why it was interesting going back to my old material because then when I was working with uh, David Butler, who is also the music director for this show, who's done a wonderful job of rearranging all of the songs uh, in his own interpretations of the book for a three-part, in- you know, three-part instrumentals, uh, which I'm very excited about because um, I've only ever played with a piano before. So now I get three instruments to play with this time. Um, but yeah, when I was working with David last year and we were picking up some of this old material when, and David had never played it before, and I hadn't touched some of these songs in about oh, four, or five, four or five years. Not that long, but just been a big gap in between. And so I came back to it as a different singer, as a different actor and performer. And I was just like, oh, this is completely different to how I used to do it. I'm like, not in a bad way. It's just, oh, yeah, this is feels so different and just, oh, it was very exciting. Because I was like, oh, it's all these new possibilities of things I can do with this and all the new colours to play with. So, yeah. Just to answer, long answer, yes, I like to think my voice is getting better over time. <laughs> 
David Butler, a.k.a. Pippi Schmears. Yes. I saw Pippi perform at <gasps> Jolly Diamond's rather large Ferrari night. You were there as well. Yes, we both I was. saw it. Incredible performer. Oh, um, that uh, energy must be rubbing off on you. And I've got to say, oh, mm-hmm. you're both high energy. So those <laughs> those collaborations, getting ready for Exhumed, must be really kind of, you know, pretty, pretty piping hot. Oh, definitely. And of course, but yeah, as uh, David, aka Pepper Schmears, is also a wonderful performer as well, an incredible musical director. But David just came off uh, doing the critically acclaimed season of Guys and Dolls at Chapel of Chapel, which had a gender diverse cast, um, which was a fantastic show. Uh, musically, was incredible. Um, and so coming into this show, and then, yeah, so, but David, of course, always brings so much creativity and ideas of how to do things. And of course, yes, we just both speak the same musical language, which is why we came together as collaborators at first, because we just had similar mindsets and the similar frame of references for how we would do things. So that was the beginning of our collaboration. And of course, now that we've been working together for about two years now, it's just like, well, we just can do just like that. We're so in sync. <laughs> You're really alternating between, you know, musical productions, but also dramatic acting as well. You did Sense and Sensibility. Yes, you know, yeah. you did the play with Law Burns. Yes, uh, I did. Oh, yes. The uh, Queer Lady Magician with Creatrix Tiara back in 2018. 1819. Um, yeah, no, so I, uh, look, I will just do anything that people will let me do. But it's nice to be able to go between, diff- yeah, so many different things and just be able to keep all of the skills up and not let anything get rusty. Yeah, for example, yeah, for going like an intimate two-handed play as it was with early days with Law Burns, which is tiny space and so it was very intimate, didn't need a lot, um, which is a fantastic challenge to going to, yeah, Charlie Brown, which was, you know, childlike and very... Very big, had to have truth, but, it, but, you know, it had to be very, yeah, had to be very big for the space it was in. Um, so, yeah, it's all just it's wonderful challenges of being an actor and a performer. Do you find yourself surprising yourself with your range? I mean, that's quite a range from from the camp musical productions to the, you know, queer lady magician to the dark prince of Melbourne Cabaret uh, to Sense and Sensibility. That's an incredibly diverse range of performing. Are you surprising yourself with that? And how does it all impact? on you? Oh, well, I don't know if it surprises me. It's just but generally because like, I will go for anything and it's just people uh, who can't spend things obviously see something in me that could work. Because so not everyone could do that. That's what I mean by surprising mm, yourself, that you know, know that you have this versatility, if you like, as a performer. Um, I mean, uh, but I, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm surprised by it. I'm just like, I'm just joyful, yes, that I have the opportunities and then, yes, the challenges of like trying to fit into, okay, but just having to adapt myself to the different, yes, the different frameworks that I'm working within for, yep, cabaret versus a straight play versus a musical versus, yep, all those different uh, genres of things that I need to work within. So that's, yeah, I... But I don't know if I surprise myself, but I just try and have fun doing it. That's about it. And look, it's not up to me whether I succeed or not. That's generally for the audience. But um. but you do succeed <laughs> and you obviously love it. Which which aspect do you love the most? I think it's it's generally anything that requires collaboration. I said I think that's the key part of all these things is getting to work with other people. Because even in, for example, Exhumed, which is technically a solo show that has, you know, uh, you know, four people on stage for this one. It's still a collaboration with all the creators involved, like with David, with the other musicians, with lighting technicians, with director or dramaturgs if you're involved. Um, but yeah, it's all collaboration and like 
all feeding on each other and uh, like friend Charlie Brown with the ensemble, we all had to feed on each other's ideas and feed off each other's energy. So I think that's it. It's just being, having stuff thrown at you and then you have to come back with something that maybe you didn't, wouldn't have thought of on your own because it's just, that's the nature of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And how spontaneous is exhumed? I mean, you, you're doing these tracks that you love, but there's always a lot of high energy spontaneity in your shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, um... Uh, well, look, I I keep the uh, you know when I'm rehearsing stuff, I keep things on certain rails. But I said in doing so, I work within a framework that I can play within. So then there can be moments of improv where things I go off script. I generally do nip myself. I need a structure in order to work within, in order to then get that freedom, which is the paradox of you know certain kinds of performing. You need the structure and the framework, and then you find freedom within that. Um, but yeah, and it's like, as, uh, look, I generally have ideas about what I'm going to speak about. Uh, and look, I say, I always say that there's never going to be a theme in a show. There always ends up being something just because floating around in my head and the ideas I'm thinking about at the time, there's some kind of connecting tissue to all of it that makes itself apparent as I get further and further in the process. And generally by the week or two before, I've accidentally figured out what was uniting everything together. So, you know, I'm in that process at the moment too. So, you know, you have to come to the show to find out what the end result of the process is. So, um, yeah, so it's it, who knows what could happen. It'll be very spontaneous. And look, you're not afraid to give social commentary. I saw you mm. at Hair Hole, you know, before it closed, when you yeah. did Dark Prince. Yes, yes. You are very kind of, you know, forthright about social issues. Mm-hmm. Of of course, your performance October 2 to 8 is going to be, you know, almost near the end of the campaign for The Voice. Will you be talking about The Voice? Yes, actually, because I was working on, uh, yes, a portion of the show last night where, yeah, where actually I realised oh, but was talking about some social issues and how... Yeah, people being afraid of moving forward, of being stuck in the past, and one of the issues that came to mind was the referendum about The Voice. Um, yeah, just because the... Uh, not to give too much away, but one of the ideas is, is about exploring um, not being able to let go of the past because the pain and the grief that would be involved in the realisation necessary to do that would be so monumental and catastrophic, it might actually be safer to not change. Um, in ter- and when I say that, I mean in terms of giving Indigenous people a, you know, an advisory body to the government. So in some way, acknowledging that Indigenous people are vulnerable in a way that other, other people aren't, are marginalised in a way that other Australians aren't. The attacks on drag, the attacks on the trans community. Um, What are you going to say about that? Because I imagine that's going to be in your show because you're a huge part of the community. Yeah, yeah, I'm very lucky to be a part of the community. And just, yes, with all the terrible things that have been happening to the trans gender diverse members of our community are terrible and just, yes, continually being thrown under the bus and made the subject of these horrible attacks and, you know, by... You know, by uh, you know, by groups who want to attack marginalised people for whatever reason, um, and it comes up under that same idea that that is that people don't want to, but admit that yeah, gender diversity, for example, and it's always about protecting kids. Like they don't want to admit that kids can be transgender diverse, and that's okay. It's not actually a big deal. It's just, but they can't admit themselves to that because living your life within a strict gender binary it's then acknowledging that and being able to realize that that's not necessarily true would require going oh but not only was that a lie I've also been in some way complicit in enforcing that system I've kept it going and the pain of realizing yeah that it didn't have to be that way would be again the pain of that would be so catastrophic it's almost clinging to what you know because 
the the fear of what would happen if you let go of it is so monumental. You just can't. Yeah. You know, for your costume changes, they're pretty camp. <laughs> oh, um, yes. The attacks on drag, you must find that ridiculous considering that you love your costumes. Oh, and, you know. yes. Um, I said, well, you know, technically drag's been a part of everyone's um, upbringing, I think, just in so many facets. It's just, yeah, it's a ridiculous... Um, to me, I said, um, but when this show, in Dark Prince, there were about four costume changes, and this one there'll probably be only, but not to spoil anything, only be about two. Um, also, what's funny is that, um, with the anyone who's seen the poster image does involve me being slightly naked, and so everyone who's seen it has then messaged me and gone, "So do you get naked in the show?" To which I've had to respond, "You have to come see it to find out." <laughs> I'm not saying yes or no. You have to come see. Really? Um, so it's going to be, you're going to be oh, really? Well, well, you have to come see and find out. <laughs> I need the ticket sales. I'm not giving away that info for free. <laughs> What's your favourite number? Oh, oh, I can't. Mm, I can't because they're they're all my favourite in different ways. Because it depends on the night. Mm. Yes, it depends on the night. And then there's also, interestingly, because there, I explore this more in the show, there's one song in the show that isn't actually necessarily one of my best or my greatest hits because I've only performed it once. It was in very specific time in a very, very specific social political context. And then I went back and when I was going back through my repertoire, I touched on that song and I was like, that's right. And then because of the time it came up in, I'm not going to spoil what the issue specifically was because that'll be in the show. But um, it was literally, yeah, but it was literally such a specific time. And then I had to think back to that issue and kind of go, oh, wait, what happened since then? Like, I remember that and like that then go back and then re-examine because, of course, another part of the show is going back and re-examining also the things that we've been, you know, encouraged as a society and as a culture to forget and then to explore and then to exhume it exactly to bring it back up to re-examine it so that's an underlying theme for the show wow so what's <laughs> next for you after exhumed oh well uh look i don't want to spoil anything but i am involved in another musical production at the end of the year which is very exciting um playing uh, the lead in a little musical called a gentleman's guide to love and murder um which is a modern day uh Comic operetta uh, involving a uh, involving a young Englishman who decides to go around and kill off the members of his extended family to get the hands on his inheritance. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. That'll be happening a bit later this year. So yeah, back to musicals after this. So I'm very lucky. Wow, <laughs> is that the Gavin Roach production? <gasps> no, no, no. It's a little production over in Williamstown Little Theatre. Um, I'm reuniting with Rebecca Simons, who played Lucy in Charlie Brown. Is now playing Sibella, who is the but lead opposite me, so I'm very happy to be reuniting with her. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that'll be later this year, which again, getting the opportunity to play a lead in a musical, not something I've done before, so that'll be another challenge. Gee, not <laughs> short of work. <laughs> I like to think I keep busy. I keep busy. <laughs> Can we see you moving into film? Oh, I would love to go into film. I mean, again, another medium where you really have to adapt, th- adapt yourself, and be versatile and. Changing your changing the performance maybe is a strong word, but just yeah, adapting the performance and working within the medium, um, because of course one of the things I found up doing on screen and camera work, I was going, well, it's not necessarily realism as such, because I'm naturally a very very big energy person, which is real real to me, like it's what I do in day to day life, but on camera it just does not work. It's just too much. And then I actually, for me, I have to 
tone everything down because not because it's and it's just because you don't need that much on screen because everything is so powerful you don't need to do much um so again talking about the challenges of working in different mediums so i would love to go into film so anyone out there <laughs> but you really do channel that with your voice you know and so i guess you know that a natural progression for you i think because we've talked about you doing the, the front man gig you know for the glam rock band uh-huh. but seriously i could really see you getting into the recording studio and uh-huh. actually recording some of these tracks from oh. exhumed would be incredible. Well, maybe Is that feasible? Be... Because, I mean, you know, it's certainly something that I think your fans would love. Uh, well, I'm flattered that you think I actually have fans. Um, I would love to. I haven't looked into the logistics of that, but um, no, recording an album would be incredible. Just the opportunity to, yeah, just put all these songs down. Yeah, and just have, again, have something to sell at shows. That would be nice. I mean, Zoom <laughs> would be a great covers album. <gasps> exactly. Already, but already there, ready to go with all the arrangements nice there and very pretty. <laughs> well, it's playing at the Butterfly Club, October 2nd to 8th. Yes, at 8.30pm downstairs at the Butterfly Club. Bradley Stora, always a joy to see you at 3CR. Thanks for popping in. Oh, thank you so much again for having me.
Arcade Fire there, everything now, up real soon, Amber, from Trans Queer Solidarity, but in the meantime, here are the Avalanches with Leon Bridges.
the bound diary, faded handwriting. Great granddad thought it was a war worth fighting. He ended up surviving, had a daughter named Duck. That's my grandma. Fell in love and married her boss. That's my grandpa. Had a little hairdressing shop in Lakemba. First child, ninth of December in the years following the war ending. A baby boom city, and now we call them boomers. Hey mom, you wear a straight lace, girl. Say what? When I got hitched to a chain smoking guy. Say what? I got a bit of both sides. No surprise. Say what? Like you're looking through my different colored eyes. Say what? I got blue from brown to green. Songs of Donald Byrd, the trumpets that came from a 33 and a third. Maybe they got me. My memory is a cluster of notes forming a familiar melody. I swear that I know. Stress in the morning, stress in the evening. Stress is what I'm feeling. It's no wonder I ain't breathing. Music is my life from before I could breathe. 'Cause my daddy sang my mommy some melodious keys. Melodious G, melodious me. In the end was the birth of melodious me. Got the tune when I was in the womb, and I promised I would ride them with the songs that I'm doing. I wonder if they thought that I could change the world. If I could change the world, but、well, I would change myself. First, bones always seem to know better. The past is in the future, so I get to know better, get to breathe better, get to dream better. You paid for my college, so I get to eat better. I saw you in the past, working long hours, daddy. I saw my mother dream, so we could be happy. It's deep. Like my African lineage, I bet you're gonna heat up our African lineage. Hold it to the ancestors, 'cause they answer prayers, 'cause they answer. With Samba the Great and Okenya, second heartbeat. Well, last Friday, trans, queer, solidarity rallied outside the Channel Seven headquarters here in Melbourne. And earlier today, I spoke with Amber from the group. 
Amber, welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Tell us why you rallied last Friday outside Channel 7. Yeah, I think we've seen in the last few years now this rise of anti-trans propaganda in the mainstream media and the Spotlight program on Channel 7 a few weeks ago on that Sunday was just the latest example in like a growing trend of these anti-trans so-called journalistic pieces that really just they further push the boundaries of like acceptable transphobia in the mainstream and it's connected as well to the rise of the far right as well. It was important for us to push back against the mainstream media and these narratives. There's lots of not just outrage in the trans community but wider community against how messed up the program was in terms of it was just pushing particular narratives that demonised and scapegoated trans people, and that's a particularly dangerous thing in a in this climate. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be transphobia dressed up as you know a so-called need to report balance, but that balance is coming from a right wing turf agenda. Yeah, definitely. And I think we need to make the connections about why the mainstream media do this because we think about like. Channel 7 has kicked out on so many marginalised groups. I remember all the anti-black racism stories from a few years ago. It's just like a part of the furniture of mainstream media in terms of they want to divide us in some ways and kick down a marginalised people with these convected narratives rather than finding solidarity across difference. It's like, yeah, it's like seen as edgy to kick down and like maintain oppression because like these these owners and these, the sort of values imbued in these corporations is about hierarchy, is about oppression, because they don't want workers to have more pay. They don't want us to link up and build solidarity at the end of the day. They just want to maintain, like, racial capitalism in this, in this colony. Yeah, it seems to be about creating a false consciousness so people who are being oppressed because of the cost of living crisis uh, because of rising inflation, are projecting their discomfort and anger and anxiety onto another group. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's worth thinking about like transphobia in the system that like everyone's recruited into and it's interlocking with like other systems such as racism and colonialism. And in terms of yeah, it's like a really valuable like way to recruit people to the right, the more right trajectories to like play up these ideas about trans people being a threat when we're such a small part of the population. Um, and we're like, in some ways, like I'm always like stuck between these two things. In one way, it's like there's nothing like threatening about transness. It's pretty boring. It can be... There's nothing really. But then, actually, the way that transness can challenge these ideas about gender in society and how, you know, like gender, gender is wrapped up in so much inequality and, and violence in terms of, yeah, trans people often are, like, the pointy edge of how, like, ridiculous it is that we have, uh, like, these huge differences in wages and lives in terms of all the unpaid work that women have to do. And all these things are wrapped up in this gender system, which is about 
you know, maintaining a budget of the CISPAT mutual establishment who does and like like recruiting into people into these ideas around yeah, like domin dominator culture around men who yeah, recruited some recruited into violence or also people of all genders are recruited into ideas of like holding on to like control rather than like yeah, like trying to struggle against all these hierarchies. So I think yeah, playing against playing into these systems is a really good way for these these mainstream media companies to like have the attention on on these on um, these existing systems and, and not on the fact that the billions of dollars of profits that they're making that the advertisers are making like the Coles and Woolworths of the world they're making these billions of dollars of profit and people and they're cracking down on people trying to survive try, like because they're um, you know can't afford groceries so they take things into their own hands and they're just we're seeing increased surveillance around that so yeah like I think there is a relationship there. I can really see why trans, queer, solidarity rallied outside Channel 7 because they're not the first, as you say. This is part of a you know mainstream media trajectory that tends to be building. Uh, and I guess you wanted to actually say enough is enough, this has to stop. And that's why you rallied last week, to call it out and say it's got to stop, to try and shift the narrative. Yeah, definitely. I think... In many ways, it was, yeah, I think it was finding connection in, in amongst each other because it is quite isolating to have, like, mainstream media, they have audiences of millions, really, and it can be quite isolating when there isn't, like, a collective response. And we saw, like, the community of all the petitions pushing back against Channel 7's, like, non-consensual use of various, TikTok videos and things like that. So there's a lot of like outrage and opposition and people putting in complaints and stuff. But another thing it was good to do was actually go outside their headquarters and make some links between various systems, have speakers touching on like the role of colonialism in in the gender system that we have now because that's like where like all the wars against against uh, against Queer people against trans people in terms of like anti cross dressing laws and how that that has changed in some ways, but it's, it's still it's morphed into other things in terms of you know this demonization of trans women in sport was still like seen as like a threat in, and and the state maintains violent binary gender systems through in various institutions like prisons still that incarcerated trans people have like, face a lot of violence there. So, yeah, I guess the protest was about, like, showing that there is opposition, that there is, like, people that want to go and imagine a world, like, beyond the mainstream media, because at the end of the day, we can push back and hopefully, you know, like, limit how, how far this they're pushing the boundaries of acceptable transphobia in the public discourse. But at the end of the day, we don't have control over these institutions, they're controlled by a couple of, like, Kerry Stokes. So it's really about, yeah, pushing, like, a community or a fight back that is more about overthrowing these systems. 
Yeah, it's about taking your power back, isn't it, after being doxxed on social media as well. At a time when, you know, trans people are being vilified on social media, it's a safety issue saying this isn't right, this, this, this has got to stop. Yeah, I think, especially because, like, it has been, like, the federal election last year, we had, like, Catherine Dave, like, a, like, a very anti-trans candidate for the Liberal Party, and we had the Labor Party with Albanese also, like, speaking, like, turf dog whistles in terms of definition of women. So it's just been in the mainstream media, from the top of society, um, I think... Yeah, I think that's also, like, an interesting thing about this moment is a lot of, like, the anti-trans stuff that is coming from the top down. Like, there is, like, because we're recruited also into these systems from the bottom as well, but we're seeing, like, this push that's coming from the top as well to sort of, like, intensify these systems as well. So I think that's why it's, like, important that where we have power that is, like, in the streets, that is in our communities outside these very, these very messed up hierarchical systems, so, yeah, like building like class solidarity and stuff is like how we do take power back and build collect- collectivity because, yeah, otherwise we do get stuck a bit and demobilized in terms of we get stuck in just our limited numbers and, yeah, a sense of we can't do anything, but there is like a power in building solidarity. Has Channel 7 responded to trans queer solidarity's protest outside their headquarters? Yeah, I think it was interesting on the day they really just tried to ignore us. And yeah, I think the main response was like going past afterwards, they sent cleaners out to get rid of some of the messages we had put up in terms of chalk on a footpath about trans love and, like, some of the linkages people put up on posters there about various figures like Carrie Stokes um, who maintain, like, the management of Channel 7. So there, like, wasn't a response. And I, I don't think we were expecting a response from Channel 7 because... Yeah, we like we saw with the program how deeply slanted it was in terms that it just pushed these like so called experts and unfortunately there is a minority of the trans people that do pop up on like a more grifting thing and do make a lot of get a lot of profile kicking down on trans people. Um so there wasn't a response. But I think that's expected and that's why we need to build alternative institutions. We need to support radical radio stations like 3CR and, yeah, all the, our, our, like, inter-community social networks because, yeah, these institutions are not a, accountable to the community. They're about kicking down a community and, and ignoring, just that ignoring, like, voices that are speaking out against the cruel systems that they maintain in terms of capitalism and, and colonialism because there's never going to be, like, a fair representation of people pushing for left liberation politics in the mainstream media because they're inherently against that. It'll be interesting to see how the media watchdog, the regulator, responds to these complaints, especially as you're saying Channel 7's response to trans queer solidarity has been inadequate. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
I personally have done like the things I've like made the complaint to these institutions before and it's like yeah, stuff like the press council is like funded by these mainstream media companies and you just get lost in the minutiae of the bureaucracy stuff. So I think we need to think about yeah, responding in a way that is thinking beyond the mainstream media. Or it could be at the same time, if there's openings and there is, like, journalists on strike that are, like, um, to the left in terms of their politics, it also will be trying to make connections with them. So I think that's where we build, like, solidarity and power rather than these, like, channels of, that we're meant to channel dissent in a particular way that's set up to, like, demobilise us actually building collectivity. And, yeah, that's why... Uh, it's good that the pushback's there, but I'm sceptical of what it, it, it will do in the long term. It's important that we like build solidarity in terms of in our communities and mutual aid and supporting each other and on the streets and in our online spaces because that's how we'll sustain ourselves when we're just like ignored and ignored by these, these mainstream media corporations. Amber, keep up the fight, keep up the struggle, uh, and thank you so much for your insights today on 3CR. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. So I throw both his bags down the hall 
and that was David Bowie. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Punk there, Burger Store Dinosaur. Oh, we 
there and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.